This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, woo! Okay, here we are, drinking with others. Yay! The podcast. Now, um, I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is... J.M. Paquette. Yay! And our guest today is Beth Patterson! Hi, kids. So, um, we're going to talk about what we're drinking today, but today I have one of our Drinking with Authors shot glasses, and I'm going to have some Honey Jack. So, that's going to happen. Jen, why don't you talk about what you're drinking? I'm drinking La Croix, which is not very exciting, but I normally drink bubbly, so this is, this is I'm trying a new thing. It's lime. We'll see if it's any good. And for, to reiterate, Jen's allergic to alcohol, so she's boring. Moving on. Beth, what are you drinking? Well, it's, you know, there's, there's no shame in not drinking alcohol. You know, I've, I've, um, will sometimes refrain, um, in front of people who are trying to quit themselves, but people who are going to be tuning into this are going to know that I'm going to be consuming, uh, some boozy booze. Uh, so, uh, this is, uh, from a winery called Field Recordings. I could not resist the fact that the label says, is, calls this particular brand fiction. It's a blend. Um, I like reds. Uh, I tend to gravitate towards, um, Monastrel and, um, Malbec and, uh, some Shiraz, of course, cause I, I spent a, a great deal of time in Australia. Um, this is a blend. It's, uh, I typically, I like to buy these if I know exactly what percentage is, is what, and it's just not the end result of somebody's wine tasting when you, you know, uh, so we've got 36% Zinfandel, uh, 15% Cabernet Franc, um, 12% uh, Mourvedre, 12% Syrah. Something I didn't know until recently is that Shiraz and Syrah are pretty much the same grape. It just, one is South African and one is Australian. Uh, 11% Cab Sauve, 5% Grenache, uh, 5% Touriga Nacional, and 4% Alicante, or Alicante, sorry, I'm trying to learn, uh, my, I, French was my first foreign language and now I'm trying to teach myself Spanish. So there's no telling what is gonna, through what <laughs> lens this is gonna go through. But it's Alicante Boucher. You are doing way better than us and you just did a bunch of math and that could be 130% and I wouldn't know. I'd be like, cool, I, that sounds great. I am kind of mathematically tone deaf, uh, which is, a hard thing for my family to accept because my father is a mathematician. He uh, is retired from being the, the head of the math department at, um, it'll always be USL to me. It's it's now uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette. It's, it's oh, wow. ULL or ULALA, but uh, it'll always be USL to me. And after a certain point in my learning, all of a sudden something just went off the rails as far as my ability to process numbers. In the immortal words of Beavis and Butthead, there's too many of them and stuff. <laughs> um, my grades did shoot up when I started drinking coffee um, in high school. I went from struggling to all of a sudden my Algebra 2 teacher saying, are you sure you don't want to take trig next next year? So I think that, you know, having uh, not knowing at the time that what I essentially had was raging ADD um, oh, was, was part of it. But I didn't find out until I finished college. No, exactly. Well, you said two things. One, I'm a huge Malbec fan. Like that is my favorite red is a Malbec. But mm -hmm. I will say that my default um, cheapy deepy brand, that's what I'm going to call it, is um, I uh, 
drink 19 crimes because I I don't know why, but their red blends are all like, I don't have a problem with a single one of them for whatever. Yeah, and uh, not only that, but if you get the app, you know, it has the, the creepy. I have the talking the, app. I have it talk to me. Usually talk- a couple glasses in, I have the <laughs> talk to me. Yeah, it, it, it can, you know, once you've had that much alcohol in you and then your wine label starts talking to you, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing. We're, we're writers. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> literally nothing can go wrong. Get it? Literally. You see how I did that? You impressed Jen? I, I do. <laughs> Jen's just sitting there going, this is already off the rails. Um, so Beth, um, first of all, you are amazing and funny. So you, I'm, we're going to get into talking about this, but you actually inspired an immediate purchase of something by two people that I know based on your commercial. So I'm just letting you know, but I, you're going to have to talk about a little bit about you and then we're going to get into that. But Jen was one of the ones she saw, cause I was like, she asked who we were talking to and I'm like, Oh, let me just show you the YouTube and her and another one of our editors at four horsemen immediately bought your book. The moment. Nice. So mission awesome. accomplished. Thank was, you. was release the virgins. Yeah. Yes. That was yeah. hysterical. I loved it. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, I'll be happy to talk about that. Um, talk about your writing, though, because you, you're not just a writer. You like such much larger story arc here. But start with your writing. So let's talk about your writing a little bit. What do you write for the fans out there that may not know you, which is dumb? They should well, know you. My favorite sort of narrative to write is uh, speculative fiction with sort of a, a, a snarky twist to it. Um, I like it to things to be a little quirky, you know, definitely with some humor. Not all of it is like that, though. Um, That's just my preferred narrative and my preferred genre. Um, I like trying different things um, and finding out, okay, okay, well, that works. That was surprising. And okay, let's not ever do this again. Uh, It's part of learning who you are is learning who you're not. And I didn't start um, really trying to seriously start writing until uh, about nine years ago. Um, I had dabbled with it, you know, all through high school with, you know, just random snippets of books that I was going to write someday and, and stretching into college and things like that. And then it started sort of um, uh, a, sh- a short time later, you know, just sort of lay dormant, but not dead. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until uh, about 2012 um, that I just, the bug bit me, I guess the way that some women reach the age that I had reached and say, oh my God, I have to have a baby. I was like, oh my God, I have to have a book. Um, Way less costly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's sort of things. uh, For one thing, nobody is going to call the police if you throw your book out the window. Um, That is true. That is a very true story. It's not important how I know this. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have any children, at least, you know, none that I'm aware of. <laughs> um, but uh, I, uh, all of a sudden, it's, I started brainstorming and I look back at, at some of the early things that I was writing and, and just, uh, uh, just some ideas. I was just grasping at straws. And of course, the ideas um, are, are kind of like, wah, wah. Uh, but at least it was a start. Um, and it's, it's like um, my first vocation, which is music. When you go back and look at things and, and your earlier creations and cringe, that's actually a good thing because it shows how far you've come. Uh, that's Agreed. what one of the musical heroes Agreed. in Ireland taught me. 
Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're actually publishing a book right now called Teen Angst. And we asked everybody to send us their poetry, their love letters, like all of the, you can totally participate. You can totally participate. Yes. Yes. I'll send you some info on this. So we're publishing it because every writer that I talk to, the shitty stuff we wrote whether it was a, a love letter a song a poem that most of the time is so emo for lack of a better word like the world is ending and we happen to be on it kind of stuff you know well you know if you're lucky that's how it should be if you're lucky um then when you're in your teens uh you should not have a worse point of reference um, that should be the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Um, uh, unfortunately, that's that's uh, not often the case. Uh, I do uh, know a, a number of people who, you know, would would read those and go, "Oh, that's cute," uh, compared to the things that they have experienced. But I think that's what's so endearing about teenage angst in the the pu- in its purest form is that it is supposed to be it, it's supposed to be that. Um, because your whole, if your whole world is around whether or not, you know, Jimmy said hi to you by the lockers, um, that's how, that's how it should be. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not in a bad place really when that happens. You just, it's nice to have an adult around you, you listen to, to go, it's going to get better. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is and, not the last point of time. Well, when you're young, you don't believe that, but, um, I did, you know, have ideas for, you know, these bands that, never uh, these these bands that never quite formed and then uh when i was a freshman in high school i got my first little garage band together and uh by mardi gras we had a gig and um the things that uh that the the main guy we're still very good friends um guy named steve karen who's now an accomplished piano player he's moved to uh portland oregon um but he was one of these these people who made me a better musician uh just because we were the same age but he wasn't just good for his age. He was just good. You know, he, you know, we both had a lot to learn with our chops, but um, he, that, that didn't stop him from pushing himself. And um, he, he just uh, was always expanding as a musician and getting to have him to expand, you know, we, we could sort of expand in tandem. And I remember one day uh, he'd written this instrumental uh, and I was like, we need to put some, some lyrics to it. We decided we were just going to get out the thesaurus, uh, wow. and you know, because we wanted to sound intellectual, like these bands <laughs> that we listen that we looked up to that used big words. Um, you'll find that my, my favorite band is Rush. Oh, um, and I can't remember what it, it. The opening line of this song was something like "Vexation has corroded all of my expectations." I can't remember what it, it was. Vexation was the first word, and "corroded" was in there somewhere. And we thought we were being really avant-garde. And uh, I think we probably sounded more like Monty Python than anything else. Which is brilliant in its own right, even <laughs> although not intended. But no, I, I agree. I think, you know, being able to start figuring out how to express yourself as an artist, regardless of what kind of artist you are, the more that that's fostered at a young age, I think it's good. Because you have so many roadblocks and people telling you no and you can't and you don't. And you know, hopefully you do have people telling you, yes, you can and you will, and it grows you, but it, it's more often than not the, the other case. And it, it is. And I think a lot of people have good intentions um, wh- the, because they don't want to see a person get hurt. 
Uh, but you never know what's going to call them. It, it might not even be uh, a grown up. It could be one of your peers. It could be a teacher. It could be some offhand comment. You never know what word of kindness is going to give you that strength uh, when you needed it most. That is very poetic. Very poetic, especially after the shot I had. <laughs> oh, you, you've already had a shot? I did my shot, yes, in the beginning. Okay, well, I'm going to start. I got, when, when the man who is now my husband, uh, we had been seeing each other just a couple of weeks when he had a birthday. And, um, you know, I, was, I, I knew that uh, Prince, Prince is one of his big heroes. He is the quintessential New Orleans jazz piano player. So he's written books of transcriptions of, of uh, the greats like James Booker. Uh, I think that's the only book that actually they credited his name for the transcriptions, but um, Fats Domino, Dr. John, Henry Butler, um, Professor Longhair. Uh, but so he's, he, you know, considers himself a jazz geek, his words, not mine, but in the pop world, uh, Prince uh, is, is his thing. So, you know, we're, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get oh, wow. to talk about books. I actually, people can kind of see one of the t-shirts on my t-shirt quilt behind is a Prince t-shirt because I can I literally to this day can repeat every line from the Purple Rain soundtrack. Like, oh yeah, I can, and I had dances. I was eleven when it happened. I had dances like to this day. Some of my friends, Jen included, have made fun of me because I still remember the dances. And when they play when we're out dancing, I will do my whole entire When Doves Cry song. Like, it will happen. I can't help myself. It is interesting when you're young and you're singing Red Corvette. And then as you get older and you continue to sing it and you understand it a little bit more. That was an oh, interesting yeah. moment. You were like, oh, I was 11 when I used to sing this song. There, there are things like that. Um uh, no matter whether they're pop songs or metal songs, I'm like, ooh, oh my, I see what you did there. And then there's the opposite where there was a, um, a, a preacher who has gone on to have a mega church and I'm not gonna say his name because he does not deserve recognition, uh, but he, uh, he booked two shows at the um, municipal auditorium uh, in Lafayette where he got people to flock and he was talking about all the evils of um, of rock music, everything from on the line of, of things that were blatantly satanic, like bands like Venom, mm -hmm. um, to things like um, Eurythmics because of uh, Annie Lennox's bisexual appearance and Tina Turner showing too much leg. I mean, we've got we've got things going in both things. He put out two books uh, that talked about all the different backward masking messages, and of course. It's that psychological phenomenon. There's a word for it. I can't remember what it is, but if somebody says, you know, when we when we play this record backwards, you're going to hear, I like to eat bread sticks, you know, and then, you know, that's that's what you're going to hear because somebody's already planted that seed in your mind. So he would say, you know, he would play Stairway to Heaven backwards so that we could all hear My Sweet Satan and it just sounded like Stairway to Heaven backwards. But um, I remember just in hindsight how hysterical it was with him talking about Prince and why we shouldn't buy his records and listen to this preacher man standing up uh, on the stage with this pulpit in front of him, citing the words to darling Nikki, you know, uh, <laughs> as this preacher is saying, you know, uh, I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. And uh, he essentially, um, it, I think for a lot of us here, I know I can probably speak to a lot of uh, speak for a lot of uh, my fellow Lafayette natives from that generation. He basically put together the best playlist ever 
Uh, and that's something that's going to be um, the inspiration for part of the the sequel for uh, of my my first and only book, uh, novel thus far is there's going to be this this crazy uh, evangelist who's talking about the evils of uh, uh, of popular music, and um, of course, you know, I'm going to make him that he's a a failed musician himself, which seems like that would be the only logical reason why somebody would do this. But he's a guy, failed guitar player. <laughs> what? A failed guitar player. Guitar? Oh, that's awesome. I, I like the way you think. <laughs> I, I may have to incorporate this. Please he's do. secretly working on publicity for the band because everybody went out and bought Prince. If you didn't know Prince before you went to go see him, you went and secretly bought Prince after to find out what he was talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's um, I mean... I think pretty much by this time, everyone knew who Prince was, but um, there were all kinds of cool things that I didn't know about these bands. I'm like, this is awesome. This is musication, music education. And you can just be like, okay, cool. That's, that works for me. I, I, I ain't mad at it. No, not at all. Oh, okay. So let's talk about what is the, you have done short stories, obviously. Short stories. What is your first published work? Uh, let's see the very first one, um, first published work where I was like, wow, I'm officially a published author was not, was, was tied in. It had a short story in the back. Um, some friends of mine, um, friend of mine who was actually writing by this time and, and a wonderful prolific writer, a friend of mine named Austin Malone, who is now one of the editors at, um, Pseudopod, um, which is a horror, um, podcast, um, he was the one who, uh, he and his wife, Kristen gave me the idea. They said, why don't you just get the ball rolling, start out with, um, a collection of your song lyrics. So that's what I did it just to, and it got, got things in motion. Just cause I felt like I was doing something. And that, so I did the saw the book of song lyrics. And at the very end, um, I did my first, uh, short story, which became the prototype for what would later become my, um, my novel, the wild harmonic. Awesome. Um, and uh, so that got things rolling. And then a few things happened all at the same time. Um, it, it's almost like two parallel events that eventually uh, came together. Um, just before then, um, I had made friends with Robert Asprin, um, who was living in New Orleans. And I didn't realize that he was living in New Orleans. I had known his myth books uh, when I was younger. And uh, I was on a gig one night. Um, it probably the only thing that came out of this only good thing that came out of this steady gig, um, was getting to meet Bob because out of all the steady gigs I played, it was, it was the worst place I've ever been treated, uh -huh. but I'm playing away. I'm doing the best I can, um, doing this, this parody, uh, song. And here's this guy with a little, um, Al Capone cigarillo and, and, and a glass of whiskey, salt and pepper, kinky uh, ponytail laughing his ass off. Uh, at the bar comes up and talks to me and it's Bob. And so I started to um, get some ideas uh, rolling with that. Um, and then Bob passed uh, around the same time that somebody, a friend of mine um, named uh, Larry Ashley Jr. Um, had been seeing um, some of the posts that I've been making on Facebook. We didn't know each other personally, but he liked my raw observations and occasionally snarky comments and, and just the wonky lens through which I, I view things and added me to a group um, that was 
uh, of writers. And so he introduced me to a whole other group of, you know, of things that uh, like um, with Perseid Press, the, the Heroes in Hell series. So I did one story with that. So my first, my first three or four uh, publications were um, this book that you can still get in ebook only called uh, Mongrels and Misfits. That's my lyric anthology of um, six albums worth of lyrics and some unpublished lyrics. And uh, then this prototype before I even knew how to format a document or I had no copy editor. Nobody told me that you're supposed to write out the words 42 and not, you know, it, it just stupid things that I just didn't know until I went out and got a Chicago manual of style. Um, so it's, it's an interesting little artifact. So there was Mongols and Misfits, um, there was Poets in Hell. Uh, then there was uh, one called Rise of the Goddess, which was a charity anthology um, that was all supposed to be sort of goddesses reimagined. Um, uh, and uh, a couple of others, there was um, a series on, on um, Moon Dream Press called um, Shut Up, which is kind of like an apocalyptic Lovecraftian thing. So those were my earliest attempts um, then, um, expanding to, uh, a series, I've got them behind me somewhere, um, uh, of, a, a shared world, sort of a shared universe, uh, called, um, Fortanus. And, uh, so I got a few in that way. That's when I started to, to develop my sort of funny narrative and decided that I, I kind of liked going the tongue in cheek route. Awesome though. That is amazing. So, You've you've had this journey. You're also um, uh, obviously an accomplished musician, which is fantastic. Having multiple things you can do because me and Jen can sing in the car together and have many many times. Um, we're really good at that. But um, so when you decide, because it sounds like you went a very artistic route with your life. When was the decision to do that versus, you know, you said your dad was a mathematician. My mom was an accountant, by the way, a CPA, mm -hmm. still didn't get the numbers gene. I don't know where the numbers gene went, but it definitely was not to me. Didn't get to me either, if it makes you feel better. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's just more like I didn't give myself very many other options. I went to college and I got my degree in music therapy. Um, I did take uh, a year to go to Ireland. I, I, I took three terms uh, studying at University College Cork, uh, which had a program in um, traditional Irish music studies and ethnomusicology. And world music is, is something that I, I have always loved. And that was at the time that I was really getting into playing Irish music. I had already been playing uh, for a couple of years in an Irish band uh, and was very lucky to have... Um, uh, amongst us, a guy who was from Ireland and saved me, probably saved me a lot of, um, a lot of faux pas, is it faux pas? You know, what is plural of faux pas? Faux pas. Faux pas, okay. Anyway, he, those uh, kept me from, uh, I mean, I still had, had mistakes to make, but there were a lot of things that um, I luckily um, already knew what to do and what not to do uh, when I got there. Um, so I, I did that and I got my degree in music therapy, but while I was doing that, I was taking like 20 credit hours and then getting on the street and playing five nights a week in the quarter. So I was sometimes staying awake for three days at a time, which is the kind of stupid shit you can do when you're young. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's it. I could not do it now. Um, but, uh, 
you know, even though I, I wanted to make the grade and keep the scholarship, my scholarship was on the oboe, which was not my instrument of choice, but my parents did say, you know, if you stick with the oboe, you'll be able to get a good scholarship. And, and I got probably a better scholarship as a mediocre oboe player. I was, I was, my heart just went into it. I, and I probably got a better scholarship as a mediocre oboe player than I would have if I had been a top-notch euphonium player, which is incredibly unfair. Um, wow. I, I felt kind of bad about, about that, you know, for the people who did put in the time and the de dedication and the passion uh, to their instruments. And I'm just like, la, 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 I have a knife. <laughs> I'm making reads. <laughs> Want to see my cool knife? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think that's amazing that you're, you have been able to do that. So do you have albums out? I do. I've got seven uh, solo albums out and I've got a, an eighth that's uh, in the works, which is just really kind of a collection of uh, singles that I released one at a time since 2014. I had been doing the entire albums, things that, you know, with, with entire albums. And um, after a while, it didn't make sense. Uh, one, because... Uh, I left New Orleans for a while, went and, and um, lived in Starkville, Mississippi, um, which is where I started developing more writer chops. Uh, my grandmother was still alive at, at age 105, and I decided mm -hmm. to take a couple of months to go spend with her. And to say that I took care of her would would uh, not be accurate, because in a lot of ways, she took care of me as, as much as I did of her. I did the easy stuff, the hauling things, the driving. Um, she listened and she gave me insight. Um, and um, so uh, during that time, I started just commuting back to New Orleans and doing um, one song at a time. And that's gonna be the, the compilation for, for these, uh, these singles. Um, and uh, that I'm hoping to have that out by St. Patrick's Day. So fingers crossed uh, for that. That's exciting. I might not have a gig on St. Patrick's Day, but I wanna have it out by then. Um, because how, how is the whole pandemic? So you're in a very different position than every other writer we've talked to, because all the writers that we talk to are writers and they can be in their back caves and, you know, but you have the music is a, a larger part of the experience. How has COVID been for you? Um, COVID it's, it's been, um, well, for one thing, of course, um, of course, it's a horrible, mean, nasty thing, um, and it's it's taken the lives of a number of, of my loved ones and uh, rendered a lot of friends out of work. Um, I've been one of the lucky ones that I've been able to monetize shows uh, doing live streams. So uh, so it's I've been able to stay afloat purely by the kindness of listeners who have turned in, tuned in, and um, that is something that uh, I definitely don't take for granted. Um, it was also at a time that Right before uh, the pandemic, I was um, getting at the end of my psychological rope just with how crazy it was getting on the live scene. Um, a lot of the stuff that goes into any fiction that I write uh, about music, uh, in a at least in a realistic setting, is there's going to be a lot of that that's actually not fiction. Um, I had had uh, some pretty rough sc scrapes over the years, just just dealing with people in general, like. Uh, somebody I was setting up for a gig and somebody I didn't even know who knew me from Facebook thought it would be okay to just walk in and throw his arms around me and pick me up off the ground. Um, I've had people uh, show up at my doorstep 
Um, I've had a couple of times people parked in my driveway, um, you know, just, just things that, that, are, that are not a whole lot of fun about being out there in, in public. Um, and um, right around the time that I thought, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I'm, I'm seriously losing it. And then the pandemic hit. Now I still um, could not feel relief because so many of my friends uh, were getting hit a lot harder. Because uh, I was sort of like that willow tree that bends and doesn't break. And a lot of people who had stronger careers um, that depended solely on mass attendances were getting, uh, they're the ones who, who really got hit hard. Um, so I thought, as long as I'm lucky enough to be able to do this, um, I'm going to give a little bit. Um, a, a portion of the proceeds uh, each time to somebody, even if it's just a few bucks, um, because um, not everybody is is able to do this. Um, I was lucky because I could do a show as a singer songwriter, whereas if I had become a side person, that would have been a lot harder. Yeah. Um, but I was basically doing what I had always been doing, except that nobody was throwing things at me or screaming free bird and, you know, Stuff like Living that. Living free bird. Like that should actually just immediately end result in electronic jolt of some. You know, I have a song. Um, it's on my sixth record that's called Free Bird. You can't copyright a title, but just to keep from it being misleading, it's spelled P H R E E B U R D with an umlaut over the U to give it some of that 80s toughness. And the entire song is just a snarky response. Uh, to people who request Freebird. Technically, I am playing Freebird because it is a song called Freebird. <laughs> like it. I love your humor. You so I, have, I have a writing question. As a musician, when you're writing, do you listen to music? Absolutely not. Um, I know other people who probably can. Um, I need absolute silence um, because I'm going to analyze whatever I'm, whatever I'm listening to. Uh, I know some people um, who play music. Um, uh, one of my good friends who's writing this epic children's book um, about, um, about people and animals living together, um, you know, going on this adventure quest in wartime Afghanistan. And he has uh, backdrops that he listens to, but I need absolute silence because I analyze whatever's coming through the senses. I need to be able to hyper-focus. Oh, wow. I, I listen to, believe it or not, Celtic music. That's my thing. Regardless of what I'm writing, I and I write horror and erotica, so it's not like I'm writing, you know, the great American novel with my Celtic, but Celtic music, for whatever reason, going in the background, even with lyrics, is, like, so incredibly, like, soothing to me. Yeah. I get, I get distracted if it's quiet because I hear every house settling noise, everything the cats are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe some sort of white noise would probably work for me. But for the time being, you know, I just because I get so analytical because music, uh, I can come home from a gig and it takes me a long time to write uh, to wind down. But, but because music is still my for, is my my main source of income, um, I can write and still give myself permission to, to know that I'm still getting better. Um, I still feel like I have a long way to go uh, before I can really hit that narrative. So like you said, with horror and erotica, um, there are um, 
a lot of uh, horror anthologies I've contributed to. And it's, I, I was discussing this with Jody Lynn Nye, who was the person who put me in contact with you yes. uh, because that's so totally not her bag. And I, and, and she, she knows that it's probably not my strongest narrative, but because um, of all the times in life that things were a little too interesting, it's a way to channel a lot of those demons. Um, I mean, there are other ways um, that, that we deal with it, such as, you know, copious amounts of drugs and alcohol. Cheers, Cheers. everybody. Um, but it's a way to take things that are, as much as I, I would not like them to be, there are things that decide that they're going to live rent-free in my head for a while. And it's like, if I told you, don't think about tugboats, what's the first thing you thought of? Um, so it's a way of kind of literally um, taking a subject, re you know, reframing it, reframing it, reframing it, uh, and just working it to death until I'm like, okay, I'm tired of this, you know, by, you know, and, and taking the things that are bothering me and reducing them to fiction. No, I, I think that's, that is actually brilliant. And I think it, um, it's not every writer's, like every writer that we get to talk to writes differently and comes from a different perspective and pulls their stories from different places and stuff like that. But like, when when I you you know you're talking about things that are happening and stuff I I do a lot of people watching I have an excessive people watching habit not in the last year because that's frowned upon and unsafe. <laughs> um but that's where I get a lot of stories because I take what's happening regardless of which genre we're talking about and go what happens when we go and twist like this, this watching people interact and what happens when you go and then you twist that, whether it's for evil and people are killing people or it goes into a sexual context, right? Mm -hmm. That's, the, I think, you know, pulling from that is not a bad idea because I think as writers, we get those things in our head and they just sit there until you go lie and you say them, right? Yeah. Do you do that, Jen? I do. Same thing. Yeah, That's a great contribution, Mister. Everything you guys are saying, I'm like, yeah, yes, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> but somebody tell this woman to shut up. <laughs> yeah, I know she butts in all the time. See what what little Jen has not mentioned. Jen is a PhD in English literature. Like, yeah, so she uh, she's much better at this. Than I'm still thinking about the, the, the way that some people can write without any noise that blows my mind. If there was no noise, I would be listening for things like, yeah, it's, it's just because of, of what my background is like yeah. after uh, being in the studio, especially if I've been mixing um, you get what's called um, ear fatigue and it is physically painful to hear music after a certain amount of time because you're taking in so much information. And I think a lot of that is just based on having been a musician um, for over 20 years before even starting into writing. And now I've been a, a musician uh, I'm for 30 years, but because when, when sound is your first, uh, is, is the first thing that, uh, that you respond to, the absence of sound um, is just as important. Um, yeah. because there are times that just like, no, no music. And a lot of times I will draw drive for hours with just the sound of, of tires on the road. Uh, if I have done, especially if I've done something in the studio the night before, and then I have to hit the road, I need that palate cleanse, uh, because there's so much auditory information that I'm processing. 
um, because I've always got some uh, musical project or another on a back burner and I need to tamper those voices. It's like, imagine an eternal earworm. I was married to a musician for a really much longer than I should have been. I'm sorry. Um, that's a separate story. Separate no, separate story. But I, I, re I remember having these, these discussions with him where he was like, I, you know, I'm so tired of listening to the sound of the, the sound is always in, in my brain and I can't get away from it. So he would need that time to just be quiet. Like we're in the car on a road trip. It just needs to be quiet. I can't yeah. have too many things. So it's just funny. I'm remembering. My, my husband um, does, you know, when people talk about what a great piano player he is, I say, well, he cheats, he practices, but he's at it so much that he needs silence even more when we're on, on long car trips, including, um, no podcasts or conversations. So I just put on my earbuds if there's something I want to listen to. Um, the thing is, is he teases me because when we put on podcasts, I fall asleep like that because I have such mental chatter uh, that once there is other speech in the foreground, it, it, it puts my own mental chatter in the background and I'm just like, you know, it has this, this soporific effect because I, I'm not, I don't have those bad little voices, you know, not good enough, not good enough, you know, in the foreground, you know, and all of a sudden, so I'm like totally chilling out to Paula Poundstone. <laughs> I love Paula Poundstone. Look at the Lou Brack incident. That's yes, the Lou Brack. My favorite Paula Poundstone. But I think that not just music and I think this is just a human thing whatever you do all day when you get home or whenever your day of ends whatever that happens to be like I'll have days not so much anymore because pandemic but when I would teach all day long I'm like all I did was talk all day I don't want to say another word like just exactly so it's it's like that you you're, you're like if you're just want to wind down with with a glass of something or you know or, or a lacroix or and uh, somebody wants to ask you about Chaucer um I would love to, but not right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm saying my grandfather taught English lit and Chaucer was his uh, specialty. It's good times. I, I, I do like talking about Chaucer. But, yeah. But not after I just gave three of the same lecture in a row on him. I'm like, I don't yep. I need to do it again. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, I get it. It's, we all have that thing that we need to remove ourselves and, and it's, um, you know, there might come a time if I if I do music less and less, um, you know, because I, I have been facing some burnout. Um, and uh, so we'll see. I'm, I've got several things that I'm trying to um, lay, lay down the groundwork for so that I can I can keep moving forward. Um, but that might change at some point. But right now with with I've had so many years of music being um, something that I have to hyper focus on that I can't not focus on it. When I'm doing something else. Speaking of that, what are you thinking like moving forward in the future? Because right now you're doing live streaming. Do you think when everybody's vaccinated, is live streaming still going to be a thing the way it is now? What are what what are, what are you leaning? I don't know because it, it'll be interesting to see how many um, how much caution people still continue to use. I think the pendulum is still going to swing both ways. Uh, there will be people who will continue to mask. Um, after the pandemic is under control, because um, let's face it, people were getting were not getting sick from other things because they were, you know, they were taking such precautions to keep their hands clean and and not breathe in icky stuff that um, that there were um, fewer other nasty bugs that were being transmitted. 
so it'll be interesting to see. Um, there are certain things that I've realized I don't miss, um, like restaurants, like crowded restaurants, hearing like lots of being very close to to total strangers and and things like that, and and, and certain things that I that I don't miss. Um, I think live music will definitely um, make a big comeback. Um, as far as me, I don't want to have to go back to where I was with uh, some of my more toxic live situations that, you know, gigs that I couldn't afford to turn down, um, but just took a toll on me. Um, and my husband would see, I'd, I'd come home and I would just be an absolute wreck. Um, uh, there was one guy who uh, was so drunk that uh, he uh, took it, uh, did not take rejection very light, you know, very kindly and tried to force me at gunpoint to get off the stage and have a drink with him, which, you know, gee, Mr. Know-it-all, that trick never works. Uh, that's kind of like he's saying, does this smell like chloroform to you as being a good pickup line? You know, it, it just doesn't work. Um, so luckily I, between the bartender and me, we got the situation under control and the guy left before the police even showed up. But there's that kind of trauma that I had to deal with on a fairly regular basis that I don't want to have to do, I don't want to have to go back to that. Mm-hmm. And while I've been in uh, under lockdown, I've been laying down some, some groundwork to get into some better situations uh, with better people. Um, and it might mean a lot of commuting, but uh, I'm willing to do that. No, it's definitely worth it. Okay, we have to take a quick break. We are going to be right back with Beth. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. We're back. We're back. Okay. We were just talking about the Oxford comma and Jen's um, unappreciative love of that particular topic. Beth and I are on the same page. I know you and Beth are on yeah. the same page. I, I put ever, Jen's been one of my first editors ever. And I just put commas. They're probably in wrong locations sometimes. But I'm like, I'm going to over comma than under comma because I'm not going to hear about how yeah. I did appropriate. Well, people use commas like darts. They just throw them in wherever, and they're like, wherever they stick, I'll just. So it's 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 the it's the Christopher Walken comma. Yes, you know. That's... Yes, and it's it's funny because because uh, one of my beta readers sometimes I'll I'll throw um I'll have my parents read some of my stories, and my mother was was looking at one of my early works in progress. It's like Beth, they're not paying you by the comma. I think it was uh, yeah. William Faulkner. People always gave him grief for not putting in commas. And he said, that's fine. I'll just publish a page of commas and periods at the end. And then everybody can just put them in wherever they want. I think that was William Faulkner. Wow. No, I think it, it's, that it's, sounds, it's, I wish I could have known. My grandmother grew up down the street from William, William Faulkner. Oh, wow. And in Columbus, Mississippi. So she would, uh, she told me when she was a little girl, she would see because Faulkner was good friends with his wife's ex-husband. And uh, the, I think Faulkner was a little 
tiny man or the ex-husband was a big Hulkin man and the two of them could be seen strolling up and down the street arm in arm whispering to each other conspiratorially you know I love these these stories that's great I know he worked at the post office yeah like I had my grandmother tell me story because she she also went to college she was I think a year um, like uh, one grade level behind uh, Eudora Welty, but she uh, went to the same college as Eudora Welty. Very cool. And told me stories about her. Wow. wow. Were they good stories? Yeah, I mean, they were they were sad stories because uh, uh, she, Eudora Welty did not get along um, with her family. And um, she she said to her grand, uh, but although I'm trying to think of, of how this happened, uh, she lived in a, she, she lived, Eudora Welty lived in a dorm and uh, because this was back when it was, it was safe to do this. It was just eccentric, but a lot of times she would just be seen wandering the campus late at night just because she needed to be by herself. And uh, when she still lived at home, um, she would get up at five in the morning to write because after the rest of the family woke up, uh, it was not going to be an optimal writing uh, atmosphere for her. But she, she, said to my grandmother, uh, I envy you because you get to go home because my grandmother lived in Columbus and, and she went to the Mississippi, it's, it's now the MUW, uh, Mississippi University for Women, but it was the MSCW at the time, you know, in, in Columbus. Um, but, uh, but yeah, my grandmother knew her. Wow. But, but it was, a, she, she, had a, she had a sad life. She wrote, but she wrote some, some great stuff. And I wonder when I think about so many people who created such monumental works of art and they had such such terrible lives um you know maybe it's it's you know you think that it's worth it to you know like they probably thought it was worth it with what they created but i bet a lot of those people would probably beg to differ uh i know at one point with with my songs i would like i would be okay with being you know so, so much of my my music came from from my pain that i'm like you know i'd be okay never writing another song again, as long as I could just reach some point of happiness. And I eventually did get that point of happiness and guess what? I can still write. So, but I had some people who uh, liked my sad songs so much that they were not tactful with me. They forgot that, Hey, this is another human being you're talking to. And they would come up uh, and like, if I had a relationship that failed, they would come up and tell me how happy they were because I wrote my best material when I was hurting, you know, just shit that they would say to my face. Um, I'm like, you know, you wouldn't say that to a woman who's just had her 10th miscarriage, like how happy you are because, you know, it gets, you know, because she puts that angst into her art, you know, it's just, and these, these are people who did not know to what degree things got ugly, but occasionally things got ugly. Um, and you know, some people said some shit to me. I, you know, and you can eviscerate them in fiction, which I think you should. Yes, like what? Jeffrey Chaucer. I have. Good, good. Jeffrey Chaucer, I will eviscerate you in fiction. Um, you know, I think it's important what you just said too, because you know, not a lot of authors get to write because. It's something that's cathartic and they enjoy it. And it's an art, it's an artistic art form, regardless of what you're writing. It's art, right? Well, mm -hmm. it's art, regardless of how I feel about some of the writing that I read. It doesn't mean you don't need an editor out there because your art mm -hmm. may need a little fucking cleanup. I, absolutely. But, yeah. But I think, you know, 
it's interesting because I talk a little bit about the celebrity and you talked about, um, you know, situations you have. When you put yourself out there as an artist, regardless of what level you are, you know, whether you're Prince or you're somebody who is doing local gigs and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that's all you're doing, but, you know, somebody who has their first gig, you're an artist and you're a celebrity. And people don't realize that being an artist and a celebrity is very different than the person that you are and what you're going through. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think, you know, it's kind of like, you know, writing um, different things. People think that's who you are. You write, you know, horror. So you must totally be into the gore and whatever. And regardless if you're a horror fan, right? Because I write horror. I, I don't write horror because I'm a fan of horror, so to speak, but I am. And Jeff Strand, if you're listening, I love you. Um, but I, I write it because the human condition is very interesting to me. And I actually am a very large fan of seeing what happens when there isn't a happy ending. Because even to the point of what you were discussing, a lot of stories don't have happy endings that go with them. They don't. Um, I mean, there's a lot of... Um, it depends on the kind of horror. Um, there are certain kinds that I, I like. I prefer the kind of horror that involves things that can't really happen in real life because in finishing my music therapy degree, my final requirement was doing a six month internship at a psychiatric hospital. And I did music therapy for a lot of people who were survivors of extreme trauma. And uh, once I got to know, I mean, it's the kind of thing that one, even if there weren't some sort of confidentiality uh, code. Um, one, it's still not my tale for the telling. Two, I don't talk about it because no matter who, no matter what these people, anybody I talk to, no matter what they think they can and cannot handle hearing about, I'm like, no, if I told you, you would be sorry that you knew this. Um, and I, I stick to that. But but it's also just something that um, that whether whether the there's a, a an expiration date on the confidentiality thing. I don't care. I'm still, these are things that I'm still taking to the grave. So I'm not interested in speculating on what people can do to other people uh, unless there's some sort of illusion involved or there's there's some kind of unexplained, there has to be some sort of phenomenon that can't happen in real life. Um, that's what I'm more interested in, but it's because, uh, you know, so I agree with you about the, the human condition. Um, but, uh, but yeah, with the, the people who, who can't separate the person from the, um, uh, from, from the art, um, I call it uh, sports mascot syndrome. Um, I read an article when I was in my teens about people who were on college or, or um, pro level. Uh, they were the sports mascots and how much violence they got su subjected to. Like, because people would forget there's a person inside that costume and people who suffered severe injuries from fans getting out of control or, or other, you know, teammates from another team forgetting that, you know, there are broken bones under that big stuffed animal that you guys think you're knocking around. And uh, I think that's what happens when your product is out there. Uh, people mistake the product for the person. Um, and um, because I do this, this act as an alter persona, um, Bad Beth and Beyond, where I wear a wig and uh, I have this snarky attitude and, and it's a platform, oh, it, like the way that authors will take a nom de plume, even though everybody knows who they are, um, it's a way to separate one genre from the other because 
if I put my, my dirty songs on my serious albums, that does something to the rest of the album. So if people say, you know, what, what album is show me on the doll on, I can, I can point them to this, this separate uh, entity. And, um, you know, I know that, that uh, there are writers who, who do that, like Shauna McGuire um, writes horror under a different name, even though she makes it no secret, but it's a good way to say, to, to say, oh, a book about fairies, Morgan Freeman narrator voice, but it was not a book about fairies. Uh, it's a good way to keep uh, to keep those separate and distinct. Uh, I think that's very smart. Um, but when I do the dirty songs, um, if something bad would happen to me on gigs, a lot of people who I thought would know better would say, well, what do you expect? You do dirty songs. I'm like, that doesn't give people the excuse. What about this body act that you love to listen to at this Ren Fair, this body comedian that you like to hear? Do you think they deserve that treatment? Um, that's, that's the treatment thing too, that you dressed you to, you know, like the, the, that, that rolls into the other things. Like it's because of how you dressed or how you looked or yeah. you were friendly. It the whole, you were asking for it situation. Well, no Neil, Neil Peart, um, put it very perfectly in, uh, in his song limelight in the, there's a rush song for every occasion. Uh, one must put up barriers to keep oneself intact. And I was recently dealing with this. Um, I was telling a friend of mine um, about what I call the verbal bop on the shoulder, like people who get over familiar um, when we haven't met, like it's different, like with my friends or, you know, the way that you suss out your boundaries with people that you're getting to know. But if people start right out, you know, it's, I'm like, who the hell is this person? Um, just like if they came up and physically like bonks you on the shoulder, you'd be like, don't touch me. Uh, as opposed to somebody that you know really well. Um, but um, there is um, th there was one person um, who, uh, who told me, um, sorry, but sexual harassment is part of your job description. Uh, the stage is no place for a hemophiliac. And if you don't like it, you should quit music. Guess who's going to get killed in my next story? I hope him. Yes. Um, it's that's that's the liberating thing about writing fiction is that if I have frustration with in one thing I can get it out in another and it it keeps me balanced I love that I actually have a shirt that um uh my boyfriend bought me that said um you know uh like it says something like warning uh be careful what you say to me I'm going to kill you in my next story like but I, yeah yeah. And I, the, the nice thing that uh, is fun to do too is um, I pay tribute to my friends. Um, and uh, I first got Tuckerized. Bob Asprin mentioned me in one of his, in his first book in his Dragon series. And then when he died and Jody Lynn and I took up the series, she Tuckerized me, uh, making an entire scene take place at one of my gigs. Um, she had me down pretty well. Here's the scary thing. She and I had never met in person yet. She had never seen one of my shows. Oh, wow. Uh, she had never, we, we had never conversed on the phone. Um, but because she's Jody Lynn Knight, she could do this. Yes. Uh, she's got this imagination that uh, blows me away. Uh, but I've, I've found that, that the flip side to this is that it makes me feel good when I can pay tribute to my friends. And so I've, I've done that recently um, in, in some of my stories either by name or by fictional characters who resemble them. Uh, and it, it's fun because my friends get a kick out of that. Yeah, no, I know exactly what it's like to have a friend put you in a story. 
No, not mentioning names, but I'm in a trilogy thanks to Jen. Yeah, it's, nice. it's, it's not flattering. It's not flattering it's at all. It's you. It is, but it's flattering. <laughs> I, 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 I need to. I feel like I need a, a box of popcorn here. Just, I'm just watching. You know, for for people who are only getting an auditory. Um, uh, experience uh, on a podcast and are not watching this on video. I'm watching the two screens light up going back and forth. And I just want to sit and have my popcorn here. I would love to know more of this. It's like, I'm done talking. Yeah, why don't you explain this? Cause it's fantastic. Yeah, tell me. I wrote a story based on a game that we played together based on a character. We, we, we played D and D for years. And one of my characters the group was based on a group of characters and I just took Erica's character from that game and I just put her in my book and she's always there. She's snarky and she gives advice when you need it. Like my characters are dumb and they make dumb choices and she's in the background going, that's dumb. You should probably not do that. And then at the end, she like, she takes my hero and stands it back up and, and is like, no, you need to go do the thing. So it's you. It's, it's wonderful. I, I think that's, you know, we all have that one snarky friend, I can think of mine right off the top of my head, who does not mince her words. Uh, she was born in Germany, uh, so she does not mince her words. Uh, but uh, she she also tells me the absolute truth sometimes when I'm not ready to hear it, but I need to hear it anyway. So I, I appreciate that. The funny part was I'm reading the book because she gave me the book and I'm reading it and I'm looking at this character and I'm like, oh, this character's pretty bitchy. And I'm like, you say that like it's a bad thing. It was. It, it's it's very flattering. It was just very funny because I'm partway through the book and I I texted her and I'm like, is is Lyra me? Is that me? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, so. like, like what would Erica say? That's what Erica would say. Okay, good. You see, it, they it say flattering. they say that people don't recognize themselves in books. Um, Jody and uh, and her husband Bill were giving me an example, um, uh, and I wouldn't know the person that um, that Bob Asmer was referring to. But they and I don't even remember the exact passage, so I'm, I'm not going to say it. But he gave a very unflattering um, depiction of uh, of somebody who was who was probably less than a savory character, and. Um, I was worried about, you know, I wonder about this is the people going to recognize. And they said, no, trust me. Like if it's really, you know, if we're dealing with, with um, unsavory characters, then they're probably going to be narcissists and they're probably not going to know that this very bad thing that's being depicted is about them. Erica, with you not being a narcissist, but being like actually caring and giving good advice, you're going to be more tuned into that. But people who are getting slammed, are probably going to be none the wiser. So I put this theory to the test Ooh. and I did this, this, my college roommate corrected me when I said, took some balls. My college roommate said, no, you have to say oves. I'm like, okay. So I worked at the oves. Um, but um, one of the main characters in a story who was this doddering self-indulgent fool um, and dies a horrible death uh, as a direct result of his, self-indulgent doddering choices and everything like that. Um, I made it in the image of the person to whom I was submitting the story. Oh. Five minutes later, I got it back. I love the story. This is great. Let's do it. Wow. I did just to put this theory to the test. And, you know, 
I, I, I think that's pretty true. It, it, you know, I, I am actually flattered. I do love the character. It was just very funny because in the beginning, in the beginning part of the series, she, her bitch level is up to a real, it's a peak. Like, stop being Stop being so basically, you know, what, I, what I'm hearing is that I really want to like sit down and drink with you guys more because yeah, everything that I'm hearing just sounds admirable as fuck, you know. Oh, you. And it, it's fun. Jen's actually in one of my books as a character too. She knows exactly who she is and she actually edits the book. So luckily she doesn't change her character very much. But um, I think, you know, paying homage and again, life experiences, I think can be very interesting. It can be th cathartic to like, like to kill characters. We're not going around killing people because that's frowned upon and illegal in most places. Um, and it doesn't actually result in anything good for you. You're generally traumatized if you do that. But um, being able to go, you know what, you, you kind of deserve this. I'm going to put you in a fictional situation and you totally deserve about what's about to happen to you. Well, the, the thing is, you don't have to kill somebody um, to, feel, to feel better uh, because you could think, okay, what is the worst thing that could happen uh, to this person? And it might not be death um, coming full. This is like a comedic callback because when we were talking about um, the, the guy who now has the mega church, he was like talking about the, the evils of, of rock music. Um, there is a person who did a lot of damage in my life. Um, I still have the occasional nightmare um, who caused um, some physical harm and uh, a lot of property damage and financial ruin. Um, and what I'm thinking of, okay, who is, who is the person who is, who is hindering my main character? What sort of unsavory person can we put in this path that my main character has to overcome? Oh boy, I just had a nightmare about this douchebag. Okay, fine, whatever. But we're not going to kill him. We're going to make him his own worst nightmare. Um, this, I, I'm friends with plenty of people, um, for instance, um, who are atheists. And a friend of mine who's a minister said they're wonderful people because they do things just because they want to do the right thing and not because uh, any scripture told them so. Um, this person is flat out iconoclastic. Um, if, you, if you were to tell this person um, it, out of... Um, good intentions. Uh, if you if you told this person, I'm going to pray for you, instead of saying thank you, that is very nice that you're thinking nice thoughts of me. This person would just, you know, uh, just oh, wow, carry you a new one because you dared to, you know, to speak about a religion that he, you know, just you know he issues. So he's not going to die. He's going to be made in the image of my crazy evangelist. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I enjoy you. I want to talk about virgins. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't have much to say on this. Oh, oh you mean the book, right? Yes. Oh, look, I have it on my bookshelf behind me. Let's talk about virgins. Is, so this, is, is this going to show up backwards on YouTube? Nope, it's showing it perfectly. Release the virgins. Let's talk about your book there. Right. This is this is an anthology. Um, there have been one of one of three anthologies that um, that I'm the proudest of, and they were all edited by the same person, uh, somebody whom I have not yet met in person, a guy named uh, Michael A. Ventrella, who is a wonderful writer um, himself, 
and uh, created um, these, these wonderful anthologies. Uh, and this one came from um, being late night at a con, a um, bunch of people sitting around drinking until some ridiculous hour in the morning. And one of them had been, one of the people at the table had been, I think studied entomology. I could just look at what the backstory is. Um, uh, do you want me to re to actually read the forward? You can totally read the forward. This it's, is your podcast. You can do well, whatever you want to. Oh, don't don't do not tell me that. But this is this is a uh, uh, this is um, short. But uh, it says uh, it was from Ian Randall Stock Strock, who is the publisher. Said he he writes. Did you ever have one of those late night conversations with a bunch of erudite friends? And one of them says something that sounds so incredibly clever that the rest of you start to build on it. And it turns into an idea that you all adopt as the next really big thing. Of course, in the morning when everybody wakes up and sobers up, the idea turns out to be not really quite so wonderful. Some background, we were sitting at a table in the bar. It was late on the third night of a four day convention. Heidi caught a fruit fly and I said, Drosphilia melangaster, it's Latin name. Thomas translated that as, do you love her dark belly? That led him to reminisce about his time as a biology student. And at one point in the fruit fly's life cycle, he had to release the virgins. Michael said, I can turn that into an anthology. Thomas said, I can do the, that cover. And then I scratched my chin and said, I think I can publish that. Gail and Hildy seemed to come up with ideas for stories telepathically. And now here we are. So you never know what random what random uh, thing is, is going to actually be a good idea. So the requirement um, for this particular book is that every, every story has to contain the phrase, release the virgins. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I love it. And your song is amazing for this. Thank you. That was a labor of love. Uh, I just wanted to do it just to do it. Um, the company did not ask me to, but um, uh, I was... Mike was talking about the anthology and uh, I was just, just brainstorming. And uh, I said, imagine to the tune of Beast of Burden, I'll never read the, release the virgins. You know, he said, how about change it to, you've got to read release the virgins. And by the way, I want a song about that. So I said, okay. So what happened was I, and he gave me um, the, um, the arc before it was ready for anybody else to see it. So I read everybody else's uh, stories and incorporated at the end where, where the stone says, she's so pretty, 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 pretty. You know, I, I, I used that almost in the style of we didn't start the fire to grab um, something from every single story in this book. Um, it's, it's a brilliant song. It seems like a campy song, but it is just brilliant. And I love that all the authors chimed in too. Like that was, the author's chiming in, that happened before the video. Um, and it was before my story was even accepted because it started out, it was a Kickstarter thing. So there were a set number of authors whose stories were already like, yes, okay, you're in. Um, we'll get this out and then we'll have some open slots after the fact for whoever wants to contribute. And once it was funded, um, they were able to open some slots for some people who are still trying to make their way in the writing world, yours truly being one of them. And um, so, but the whole, least the virgins, you know, that, that montage of people saying that um, happened before it. 
And uh, so we put that into uh, into the story. But I basically, for people who who don't know what I'm talking about, um, if you go to YouTube and look up my name, Beth Patterson, Release the Virgins, um, you'll find it where I'm I'm singing about this book, and um, you know, just this fun little. I guess it could technically uh, count as filk, even though it's also kind of a little commercial, uh, yeah. but a way to to. To pose my my story was called um, "Are you there? Are you there, Cthulhu? It's me, Judy." <laughs> and um, part of that, I'd had had an idea of "Are you Cthulhu? It's you know," and it was a it was a composite of several things. Um, I got the basic idea in the back of my head at uh, Liberty Con several years ago, and uh, we were talking about our earliest writings. And I said I was in the sixth grade when I wrote my first book which meant that I got a five-subject five um, notebook and just filled it from cover to cover. And it made no sense. And uh, it, it had no story arc. It was, it was beyond, there was, it, I was not a plotter. I was not even a pantser. I was more of a shit your pantser. I mean, it just went from point A to point Q, just, it just, and, um, but I was writing and, they say that people emulate whatever they're reading at the time. And so uh, I, what I was reading was Judy Bloom um, and uh, Walter Farley with the Black Stallion uh, books and mm -hmm. Stephen King. So mine was kind of like a cross between Pet Cemetery and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret and the Black Stallion. And the end result was this book that I had written and it was so cheesy. I think it was Jason Cordova, um, wonderful writer, who was at the same, you know, sitting at the same table who said, Beth, please tell me you're going to turn that into something someday. And uh, that, so that took it out of my permanent files and put it into my shelf for deliberate cheesiness. And the extra layer was that uh, a friend of mine, uh, Gwendon Alexander, who's a wonderful poet, um, suggested this because we're mutual friends of the writer Judith Tarr who writes uh, just amazing historical fiction. And uh, she keeps um, lipizons. She raises lipizon horses. Oh. And um, uh, only recently, uh, Jody and I had gone to stay with Judy. She does the thing called Camp Lipizon for just pennies. You can stay at her house. It's a great place for writers to ask any questions they want uh, about horses in their writing because there's a lot of irresponsible equestrian writing going on like, Somebody might have galloped all day on the back of a horse. You can't do that. The horse will die. You know, we're talking about a horse that's over 20 hands high, you know, just ridiculous shit. So if you want to know what it's really like to write um, for, from equestrian perspectives, Judy will take the time out to answer all of your questions and you get to pet lots of noses and actually get to ride her lipizons. And uh, so Gwendon suggested and I was toying with this concept and Gwendolyn said, let's change it to, it's me, Judy. And instead of the horse, I forget what kind of horse it was originally supposed to be. She said, make him a lipizon. I'm like, that's a great idea. So Gwendolyn, uh, I had this, this rough idea and Gwendolyn's extra boop uh, took it uh, to a much more personal level where I got to incorporate Judy in there. I got to incorporate a lipizon in there and I got to make it a much more personal experience than me just ragging on my own writing when I was in the sixth grade. I don't, I, I'm telling you, I want some of the sixth grade writing to go into our teen angst anthology. Let's, let's keep, you know, cause I was, I was recently posting as something that I had to do a lot of research about Beethoven for um, a forthcoming horror um, story, 
Horror is, like I said, it's not my first choice narrative, but I get so much good stuff out of it. It's like, as long as that turnip is still bleeding, I'm still, still going to get that blood out of that damn turnip. I'm there um, <laughs> so I did a lot of research about Beethoven and when he was, I think 14, you know, 14 or 15, something like that, he wrote one of his earliest composition was called compositions was called elegy on the death of poodles. And uh, then I listened to it and it sounded like a perfectly good um, 19th century, early 19th century composition. I'm like, when I was his age, I wrote a punk song that had the word peckerhead in it. Um, so it, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I will never be that young Beethoven that wrote an elegy on the death of poodles. On the other hand, maybe, Be maybe Beethoven would have wanted to incorporate Peckerhead in there because he was, you know, he, he could be pretty thorny. Yeah. Born in a different time. I kind of wonder what would happen. You know, you have the, the, the musical geniuses that are born and you end up with Justin Bieber, who is not bad. And I'm not bagging on Justin Bieber because he's actually incredibly talented, but that's kind of the direction somebody as a child that can play like 20 different instruments goes. Well, I, um, I'm trying to look at it from all sides because long before I actually got to the age that I am now, which uh, it's, uh, it's not, I'm not going to make it a secret. I'm about to be 48. Um, I figure that age. High five. That's both of us. Okay. Yep. It's, You're good. Jen's high fiving a year behind us, but she's high fiving. So I'm, um, you know, I figured like um, there's no point in stigmatizing something that should not be stigmatized. Um, this is a youth worshiping uh, society, but I think of my 105 year old grandmother who had so much knowledge to share. And uh, even at 105, she had the best legs of anyone in the family. Uh, I mean, she was badass when she when she was 99. We went hiking and she kicked my ass. Um, I believe that. So it's age really is just a number. Um, but I was thinking to myself the difference between an old an old person and an old fart. An old person might not necessarily understand the next generation. An old fart refuses to understand. So I'm trying to see what's going on because. In the music industry, you have to know what's going on and what different audiences are responding to. Um, that being said, I read an interesting article um, that somebody um, wrote about how music, um, popular music started to decline in its composition and its structure um, that was directly correlated to music programs and schools being defunded. I believe that. And I totally I believe that. There are a lot of, of things that I wrote as a singer-songwriter, uh, not as a composer and arranger, but as a simple singer-songwriter um, that were definitely influenced by um, the things that I played as a mediocre oboe player. But it, it's the music that not just being, you know, learning that music, uh, but learning one voice and hearing all the individual voices as the conductor is saying, okay, do this, do that, do that, and, every, and hearing it all fit together and being around all those other instruments. Um, and um, I grieve for the people who don't get a chance to experience that. Um, even if it's not gonna be your career, if it's not gonna be what you're supposed to be when you grow up, there's a certain camaraderie um, that, that you never forget. I, I agree. I, was, uh, I played trumpet in school, not for very long. My mom said it was too loud. Um, it was very loud, but my mom said it was way so? too loud. 
Yeah. Trumpets are supposed to be loud. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know what she expected when she said I could go out for band. I think she should have clarified that the list of, except I should have probably, here's the list of instruments, mom. Choose the five that are okay to bring home. Um, so I did trumpet for a while, but I also did drama and theater, which is kind of cut out of some schools too, like the drama classes and stuff like that. Yeah. And that took a very, very shy, nobody would guess that. I mean, anybody who meets me and I go, I was so shy as a child is like, right, that's sure. You know, but I was paralyzingly shy as a child and it brought me out of my shell. So even if I was paralyzingly shy in the hallways, I would get on stage and do, you know, um, uh, Macbeth and be totally fine doing Macbeth on stage and then I'd go back into my shell when I was a you know up until my teenage years actually well it makes sense it gives you a chance to get your yayas out and like anything like on a gig you know when I've got that screen um when I've got my main instrument my main instrument is bazooki which is an Irish adaptation of a Greek instrument uh of the same name um it's it's a completely different thing um you've got that buffer it's unfortunately that same buffer that people thinks, you know, that makes people think that they can come at you like a, a sports mascot. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's so important. Uh, any kind of expressive arts um, are so important for young people. Uh, and I really hope that we see a resurgence of that. Um, and whether or not that affects um, the direction that modern music is taking, um, that's not my that's not my place to say, but I think that everybody deserves to have a chance to experience it. I, I it, agree. It's not their thing. That's fine, but at least but you know exposure to different arts. But education is moving towards practical application, and if mm -hmm. it doesn't get you a job, no one thinks or seems to think that it has any value. Oh yeah. So art and music and literature are kind of. We'll swing back. We usually do. But right now we're on a hard, like practical skills. We don't need you to be a good human or, you know, think critically. But about I the advent of reality shows, because we have to wrap up soon, but the advent of the reality shows like The Voice and America's Got Talent and things like that. And I will say this about the internet and the ability to look up and see how to do things and learn how to do things and watch people how to do things. Like I think because I couldn't look up how to be a good trumpet player when I was a kid easily. Not yeah. that I've necessarily been successful at being a trumpet player, but there's not as many avenues to look up. There's not um, podcasts that talk about things. There's not like even writing, like writing now, I, you know, is way better than what Hemingway was doing because you have all these people that are talking about how to do it, how to do it well. There's all this community around things like that. And I'm not saying it's perfect. Don't get me wrong. I could go on a whole tangent for hours about the internet. But the fact is, is I think that even though it's not in school and I really wish it was, there are other avenues for people to get the opportunity to explore artistic sides of them. Even like I was telling a friend of mine today, I am addicted to drag video. I love drag queens. It's Jen will tell you this in a heartbeat. I, I love drag queens. That's awesome. I'm so jealous of all of their makeup all of the time. I, you know, and, but I could watch for hours them do their makeup and create these, unbelievable things and i know if you go back to our age i get to say that because we're very close um you go back to our age 
kids our age didn't have that. Like they had some role models, but they didn't have the ability to find people that were just like them and show them how to do what they're doing. Yeah. We all, we all learned makeup from Maybelline. You know what I mean? Like, let's start with the, you know, the blue and the pink eyeshadow from the eighties. Like that totally happened. And, you know, we emulated that versus somebody going, let me explain contouring. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when contouring was finally explained to me, I was like, wow, I totally would have messed that up if doing it myself any point. <laughs> when I was your age, we had to learn how to put on makeup through telegraph. And we're like, <laughs> we were grateful. That is that was, by the way, the majority of that was not not um not musically correct but rhythmically correct was for yyz or yyz if you're canadian there jen um <laughs> which is this is why we come back to my favorite band rush their uh their big instrumental yyz um is starts out in morse code for yyz which is the code of the toronto airport you know which Z, you know jen is sitting there nodding but like, my husband is yeah yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. No, her husband and I have been friends since I was 14 years old. So that's a really long time that we've been friends. That's a longer story for another and time. I, all yeah. of all of the things, except knowing that the band is named Rush. Yeah. He would know. He would know Morse code, the Toronto airport, all the all of that, and then he would be like, "Oh yeah, is that Rush? Is that the name of the band?" He's musically clueless. Yeah. He but, is. And also yeah. speaks. French randomly in conversation if he doesn't remember the English word and then continues as if anyone has any clue what he's talking about. My mom does that. Um, if she can't think of, of the word, she'll say it in French, you know, and I will occasionally do that, but because my French is not a strong enough of a second language, there's no telling what's going to come out of the other language hat. Um, so I spent a year studying Japanese, like teaching myself. I didn't have a teacher, but I teach myself Japanese because I knew I wanted to go play in Japan. And when I got to Japan, I was like, yeah, I got this. And then all I could speak was French. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, there's no telling what is going to come out because I took a year of, of, uh, of modern Irish Gaelic. Um, I had years and years of French. And then I, of course, grew up hearing it around me before I actually had any, any formal classes. Uh, now I'm trying to teach myself Spanish. Um, I taught myself some very basic last minute Khmer before my husband and I went to go play in Cambodia. So all these weird things will just pop up. There's English and then there's everything else. Well, you are a better person than me because I speak, I, I, I deal with people all around the world in my different offices and I joke and they laugh at me all the time. I'm like, the American English version of this is blah. And it's nowhere close even to my UK friends. They're like, that's not the word for that. I'm like, listen, in America, we speak American. Okay. So, when, when I, the times that I've been in Ireland and Scotland and England and Australia, it's like you learn really fast. You'd better learn the differences because there are, when the mistake, when the differences between the two sometimes can go way off. I mean, oh, I agree. We joke all the time because they'll say a word like they say that you have a very, what is the word they use? We're going to have to wrap this up in a minute, but they, yeah. they use a word for, oh, um, they had an intimate, was it intimate? But the way they were saying the word, like an intimate, I'm like, stop saying that. 
that that means something different and don't say that don't say those words and then i was joking about i love british tea tea is my and jen we're like tea addicts so i found this tea when i was visiting our uk office and i love it and i joked about actually having tea and crumpets over there because i actually found a place that served crumpets they're like stop saying crumpet and i'm like why and because a crumpet is somebody you kind of have uh here we go dalliance with because they don't say an affair and they're like you have to stop saying crumpets the way you're saying crumpets it's inappropriate when you're talking like oh man that sounds like an, an invitation to go crumpets 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 no <laughs> did i say crumpets i meant to say krampus you know yeah but, no that that just that just sounds like a challenge that sounds like a gauntlet thrown for me, yes, but it's since I do HR for a living, I have to be like, okay, fine, I won't say crumpets. How about scones? <laughs> scones, 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 scones. Yeah, well, I thought, you know, in, in my mind, a crumpet and a scone are two different things. They like are different, but the, yeah, because I can't, I'm like, biscuit, what is the word I use? They're like, we're not discussing this with you. And I'm like, fine. So yeah. when I'm there again, you're going to give me a crumpet. <laughs> so. And then you're going to play your trumpet. Yes. <laughs> Oh, God, I would love to try that in. Okay, so as we're wrapping this up, tell people how to find you, not in the inappropriate way. How do people find your music? How do people find your writing? They're not going to find me in the inappropriate way. I'm very much in an undisclosed location, but um, website is bethpattersonmusic.com. Um, my um, Facebook page, uh, the handle is Bethodist. It's, I'm basically, I'm trying to start my own religion. Um, I don't really care what you do as long as you're not douchebags to each other. And, um, you know, I'm just in it for the tax write-off. Uh, the Facebook page, the handle is Bethodist. Um, and uh, what else have I got? Um, Bandcamp, which has, you know, my uh, Amazon author page is also Beth W. Patterson. I use the middle initial because um, there are other, you know, my name's pretty common and there are other people who have written shit by the name Beth Patterson. And not that I totally wouldn't want to steal all the glory for myself, but um, I'm not going to accept credit where it's not due. So it's Beth W. Patterson on uh, Amazon Authors. Um, for music, uh, Bandcamp is bethpatterson.bandcamp.com. My whole digital catalog is there. And I can't think of anything else to say. I think we just sum up with Release the Virgins. Release the virgins. Uh, it was so nice meeting you both. I can't wait till this pandemic is over because I totally want to have a drink with you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been Drinking With Authors. I've been Erica Lance. Jay and Paquette. And we'll see you next time.